Let's read Hebrews 12 and 1. And uh, Hebrews 12 and 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. My message tonight is entitled The Race. Everyone say the race. That would probably be sufficient because I want to talk to you about the race. But let's entitle this The Race That Is Set Before Us. So could we lift our hands and ask the Lord to anoint his word tonight? Could we do that? Father, Lord, we are full of emotion about the the power that works among us. We thank you because while some do backslide and some, Lord, are wayward, we know that there is a race that's been set before us. And I pray that our hearts will remember it, that you will encourage us tonight and lift us up. Lord, don't let us follow the backslider. Don't let us be wayward, but let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Anoint us tonight. Anoint your word. Let us, Lord, let us be a pastor tonight. Let us preach with a pastoral heart because that's what's grieving us. That's what's pulling upon our heartstrings tonight. And I thank you, Lord, for Brother Starin. And I know he's grieving over his saints. But I thank you for the miracle of deliverance. I thank you for the power of God, Lord, that is with the the humble and with the saints of God and the man of God. We love you, Lord, and give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. God bless you tonight. Now, I know you're going to preach with me, and and, uh, I can tell some of you are nervous because I'm in slow uh, mo and so, but that's all right. I want to preach this tonight. I don't want to have to jump over the pulpit to do it. And uh, I I want very much to uh, keep my spirit in check. Uh, It is grievous to me when I see people who have known the Lord and they walk away from their faith. It's, it's tremendously grievous. Now, uh, that, there have been times that I've seen people that walked away, became worldly or left the church and so on. It was, it was heartbreaking. But uh, the reason it can be tremendously grievous, there's several reasons. One is that you love people. And, and uh, recently I have, um, I have felt the emotion of... Uh, of the, the soul, someone dear that has uh, lost their way. There's nothing more grievous in my mind than for someone to have known, to have felt the presence of God, to have known the presence of God, and to lose their way. It's a, uh, it's a heartbreaking thing, especially if it's uh, someone that, You know, you don't make a lot of really close friends in your lifetime. You may meet, and I, everybody I meet, I, I, I like, and I'm friendly, and so on. I have a lot of friends. 
I, I, don't, I don't want to be too weird here, but uh, there, are, <clears throat> there are a lot of people that you can count as friends, and they're good, but good to you, and you love them. But every once in a while, there are people. I don't just mean your family. That Family is, is, is family. I'm referring, of course, to people that God brings into your life, and then something happens along the way, and, and uh, you, you come to find that people, uh, you, you have a, uh, do, you know, do you know what I mean by the word camaraderie, or uh, that's, forget that word. Um, uh, you like them. And you get to be close to people, and you, you find out that they think like you do, and so on. And then one day you discover that something has happened to them, and they no longer see the race that is set before them. I remember getting a call from, uh, uh, I'm not sure I should go this way because it's, it's uh, personal, so maybe I won't. Maybe I'll t- steer back. I just want you to know my heart tonight. I'm preaching as a pastor. Um, I, I would say uh, this was one of my uh, closest friends. I would say that. I don't often refer to it because it wouldn't take much if someone heard this to go back and figure it out because you only make so many really close friends in a lifetime. I mean really close. And I remember the first time that it shocked me that they said that they weren't sure about it. And that really shocked me because there were many times along the way that I received encouragement from them. Times when people would say, hey, French, you're a nerd. You're, a, you're, you're nothing but a, a, a geek who's out, you know, learning and, and who cares, you know. And, you know, people can be cruel. And, uh, and you try to ignore it, and then this very good friend would have a way about him. And I, I, I really, that he had many faults, as we all do, but, but uh, they were far outweighed by the encouragement that he brought. And when I first heard it, I didn't want to believe it, that he was stepping off the path. It was like, more than I could believe. Surely not. It's not possible that he would be questioning things like that. Wondering about baptism. Maybe we're just making a big deal out of stuff that doesn't matter. And, and then, of course, you know, I he said, I'm not really sure if we really have to do all these things and on and on it went and I remember trying to almost like someone desperate but not you know how you try to not appear to be desperate but thinking in my mind I'm I'm I can't uh, I can't let this happen this is 
Um, I mean, what, what's going to happen to me? I mean, many times when I'm really, really discouraged, I've called late and, and I've, I've put it to the test. And, and, and he's always been there. And I thought, Lord, there's got to be a way. It wasn't too long ago. I, I'm going to be careful here because I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, being very, very personal. But uh, uh, I, I heard that familiar, wondering, doubting from someone, and uh, I knew, I knew what was coming. I knew what was going. I could see it. I could see the marriage. I could see it. As sure as I was hearing that man, I knew if he wasn't careful, he was going to step off the beaten path. He was going to make decisions that would affect him, not just his theology. It was going to affect everything about him. I could see his kids. I could see his wife. I knew it was going to happen. And I wanted so much to say, don't, don't you know what you're doing? There is a race that is set before us. A race that is so very important. Hebrews 12 that we just read is the culmination of the great faith chapter. Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham uh, looked for a city, about verse 10 there. Uh, by faith Moses refused to be called what? The son of Pharaoh's daughter. That, a couple of you remembered that one. So by faith Moses, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So chapter 11, most people think of chapter 11. I love chapter, I'm not, I'm not putting chapter 11 down. But I'm, I'm trying to get us to this word. But, but, uh, but Paul, I'm quite convinced, in spite of all the books, I'm still convinced Paul wrote Hebrews. I've had people say, you numbhead, you think Paul wrote Hebrews, every scholar now, blah, blah, blah. Yes, I nobody's written a convincing argument that that's not Paul. And so I still say Paul wrote Hebrews. And so Paul uh, is trying to argue that even though they had faith like Moses, the faith of Abraham, they did not receive the promise, verse 39 says. In other words, they, they had all this, they had by faith Moses crossed the Red In other words, the chapter is trying to say that Moses stepped through the Red Sea, Abraham had faith and took Isaac to the mountain and all those things and they were all because, all of that was said. In essence, to say, Get your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In other words, there's a great race, and, and there's been a race that's set here, and you've got to get your eyes on Jesus. Church, let me tell you something tonight. It is critical that we get our eyes on the right thing tonight. It is critical that we run the race with patience Get our, it, hey, hey, this is, no, no, no. I want to guarantee you something. I want you to hear me tonight. I want to see revival. And I want to see God do the impossible. I want it. I want to baptize folks. I told Brother French the other day, I said, if one more person wants to be baptized today, we were like at like number 22 or something. And I, uh, two or three of them baptized me. In fact, a couple of the folks... Baptize me more than I baptize them. 
No, I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not true. But I did uh, really get to get baptized all over. See, you don't get to do that. I get to get baptized all over because, uh, well, it just depends on how tall they are. I get more baptized depending on their height. And uh, Brother uh, 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 John Bryant, he shocked me. Said he wanted to be baptized. He's about 12 foot six. I said, you're, you're not baptized? In Jesus' name. I said, I thought we talked. And when I first met you and you, you this and the, you know. And he said, no, no. Where'd you get that idea? I thought you said you went to this church and this minister. I mean, you never heard about baptism in Jesus in all that time in an apostolic church? No. No, I didn't know that. That mattered how I was baptized. And now he said, I feel convicted. I want to be baptized. I told Brother French, I said, if one more six foot two person wants to get baptized, you are baptizing them. No, I'm just kidding. I want to see revival. It would, it, I'd be happy if we packed this place out and, and, and uh, we're having record numbers upstairs. Now, I, I don't want to overburden our teachers. I don't want to uh, abuse the building. But I, neither do I want to sit here and twiddle my thumbs. I want to have revival. That's my desire. It, it's important that we have revival. But I, I want you to hear me now. Some of you aren't listening to me. I don't want to have revival so that I can say, oh, we had the biggest offering. Oh, we had the biggest crowd. Oh, we're the biggest church in town. That's, I don't want revival for that reason. I want revival because we got to focus on the focus point of the faith, and that's Jesus. Let's clap our hands and give him praise for a moment. Hallelujah. Praise God. So run the race with patience. Meaning, of course, in chapter 12 is all about Jesus. He was patient. Uh, I'm, I'm being very brutal, brutally simple here, but basically Jesus, he went to the cross. He didn't expect to purchase our salvation with a, with a party and, and, uh, and, and a lot of uh, fanfare and everybody patting him on the back. He purchased our salvation with blood and, and agony and, and he ran the race. And, and so we run the race with patience. We see the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, so let's dig a little deeper. Now, the Greek word translated race here is used a bunch of times in the Bible, but only translated race. Those of you awake, now this is going to be boring stuff. I just want you to listen. Just uh, hear me out. This word, agon, is used in the Bible. Okay. But it's only translated race once. Got it? Meaning that it has a more common meaning. Agon is from a Greek root word that means to struggle. Like a contest. That's where we get the idea of a race. 
So, okay, here we go. On your mark. Get set. Contest. But just imagine somebody walking up there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to win this thing, man. Oh, no. No, nobody would take that seriously. They get up to that line. They keep shuffling their feet. Well, I mean, they really know their stuff. A struggle, including an athletic event that requires stamina and struggle and effort and so on. So the idea of a race, a goal means really struggle. Now, uh, let me think if I can think of a couple passages where a gone is familiar to us, and then you'll see my point, that it, when, when we are told to run the race, they're not talking about some event where they're going to come up and say, oh man, we've got the winner here tonight. We're not talking about an event where they're going to say, oh, Hollywood, come on, everybody. Let's clap our hands because these are really cool folks. Oh, no, my friend, the word race, I've gone. When you use that word, you're talking about a word that is filled with strife and agony. It is, the, it is in fact, the kind of word you would use if you were talking about Calvary. So let me give you an example. First Timothy, see if you recall this. Uh, First Timothy uses agon, and it's translated this way. Now, it doesn't prove anything. I'm just trying to show you that this is how it's translated. And King James, is, they were great translators. May have been 400 years ago, but they were quite brilliant people. They translated and did quite well. So you might remember when Paul said, fight the good Anybody remember it? What is it? Fight the good fight. That's the Greek word I go. Which Hebrews, the folks that got Hebrews translated it, run the race. Because every time you take agon and put the Greek word run with it, you obviously are talking about a struggle that includes actually running. We call that a race. But when you don't have the word run then the idea of struggle here, I don't know, I've never thought to check other translations, but I doubt they would have changed it. The idea of the struggle is translated as a fight. So not, not some flailing, knocking people's teeth out fight. Do you, do you, Sister French, do you think that's what is meant there? Knocking people's teeth out fight? Their dentures? I don't think so. No, I don't think it's talking about like a fist thing where you're flailing and you're powing and banging and so on. It's talking about the struggle. How many ever heard they fought cancer? Anybody ever heard that? That doesn't talk about flailing. It's talking about the struggle, the, all that it takes to do it. It's not easy sometimes. Sometimes it takes everything you've got to muster the strength to just get to the next day. 
You've got to run the race with patience. You've got to get in this thing to win it. You can't say, okay, all right, this is just a, a but i am just flitter here and there. There's got to be something that says, I've got to fight the fight of faith. I've got to get involved in this thing. All right. Second Timothy uses a gone in this scripture. Just see if you remember it. It's so common, I'm thinking you will. Uh, I can't remember the verse, but... Uh, uh, I, I can't remember the verse, but anyway, Paul says, you know, uh, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. That's how gone. See, it's almost never translated race. It always implies struggle. So he says, I have fought a good fight. Everybody say, praise the Lord. I have kept the faith. So I have protected it. I have preserved it. So it is critical that we keep the faith. Can you say, praise the Lord? That we keep the faith. So before I go on, I want to call... On the church to have courage. Everybody say courage. courage. Courage to fight the good fight. Some people think that then this means you have, you know, someone, uh, well, I don't know how to say it, uh, but, I, I, uh, you know, people will say, well, you know, this whatever, you know, whatever I got to do, that's what I got to do. And so that's how they treat non Christians, like, like they're not really worthy of respect. Now, this church doesn't do it, but I, I know plenty of Christians that uh, treat non-Christians as though they're just, uh, you know, dirt, as it were. And so they, they see this fighting a fight as it's us against them, as it's no such thing. We have one enemy, and that enemy is the devil. Our enemy is not our neighbor, and our enemy is not do is not uh, Clayton County. Our enemy is not the guy next to me. The enemy is well defined. So this is no time to compromise on holiness. This is no time to listen to the world, folks. You we, listen. We should not be listening to the world. Now, I know someone said to me recently, I don't understand this. I don't understand that. I said, okay, let me, let me try to explain it. Here's, let me try to explain that. And, and they got to look, start looking at me. And I knew what they were doing. They were like, he's going to explain that to me. They thought I was going to say, well, bless God. Bless God. That's what you got to do. I said, no, 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 here's why. Here's why you have to do it. Here's why God wants that. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing. But here's why uh, women do this and men do this. And, and this is what, here's how God thinks about that. And so they were looking at me like, oh, I never thought about that. 
I never heard anybody explain that before. Because we're in a culture where people just follow whatever Hollywood says. Next thing, we're doing it right now in the whole gay marriage thing. The culture is completely collapsing in on itself. But I want to tell you, there is a fight to fight. And it is time for the church to rise to the occasion. Amen. Ladies, you are a stunning example of separation from Hollywood fakery. It's not a time to imitate the stars of Hollywood. It's not a time to hunger for the world. We cannot hunger for the glamour. Um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it. I don't know how to say it uh, any any nicer than this. When you when you want glamour, I'm not talking about look good. I don't mean that. You ought to look good. And you, apostolic people, they ought to look good. They ought to do the best they can to be decent and so on. But when you start hungering for glamour and you want so much to be like some person that you don't, you're never going to meet, you don't even know how they're even living their lives. And so I'm calling on the church in the midst of this race to commit to the battle of holiness like they have never committed before. If we're going to win this race, we're going to have to commit to it tonight. Can we just lift our hands and tell the Lord that I am committing myself, Lord, one more time. God, I thank you for saints that are Committed to holiness, we praise you for it, Lord, and we give you glory. Okay, now I'm abusing my voice. I didn't really have a whole lot. So I want to talk to the men for just a moment. It is critical that men in this hour defend holiness for your family. You cannot undermine, for example, let me give you an example we excuse television. I don't mean ever looking at it. I'm talking about excusing what it does and then letting it go by while it eats away at the moral fiber of your family. So you can't do that. So however it is, whatever you're doing, you make sure that you are guarding your family. Guard your wife. Do not make her feel that her separation or your separation is a hardship. You need to be saying to your wife and the women of the apostolic movement, this is the will of God that we be separated, that we have a mark of holiness. And you need to defend your beliefs in front of your children. Even if you're not, you know, you know, some people just sort of stay mum because they don't think they can articulate it well. And I understand they're not trying to be too harsh here. What I'm trying to say is we're in a race that's going to take more than silent compliance. We've got to run this thing. Everybody say praise the Lord. All right. So I'm calling on you men to roll up your sleeves. I'm calling on you men to get ready for the, for the shot of the gun. 
You need to grab hold of truth <coughs> like never before. And I don't care how the devil fights because I got a feeling. Now, I, I, was just, I can't say that. Um, uh, so I got so many emotions running through me, I can't, I can't say that. Uh, so I would reword my, myself here. Um, God is in control. And if God allowed these terrorists to seize a Jesus name apostolic Holy Ghost filled church, then God has a purpose somewhere. I don't know what it is. And Lord, I, I have to admit, I, I'm, it's beyond my, uh, my grade level. I can't comprehend how it could be ever in your plan. I, I, I can't see it, but I know that you are in control and that there is nothing too hard for God. Does anybody hear me tonight? There's nothing too hard for God. Listen to me, men. You've got to get a hold of this thing and you've got to get to running this race for your family. You've got to stand for your family. And when you do, great things are going to happen. Hallelujah. Because this is a good fight. This is a good fight. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So, we did not get in this race to lose, to slump around, to drink lemonade. I'm not preaching against lemonade. Are you following me? You're a little quiet. It's okay. I expect you to be quiet. But uh, you do know I'm not preaching against lemonade, right? Iced tea. Now, sometimes I preach against this Coke Zero, but it's just a little thing we have with Brother Ryan French. Do you guys drink Coke Zero? Do you drink Coke Zero? Oh. So Brother Nathan, I was wondering why we never talk about it. Brother Nathan doesn't drink that ungodly stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Now, they're gathered right here, right now, at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I went to visit a family yesterday, several of course, but one in particular, and they said, they're not here, they're at the, they're at the race. And I said, uh, oh, oh, you mean, because I'm pretty dumb, I don't know much about it. And I said, I didn't know the race was on. I thought it was like, Tonight or something. Oh, oh, it's not on, they said. And I looked a little dumb. Or probably a whole lot dumb. But anyway, and I said, uh, so they're at the race. But the race isn't on. They said, oh, yeah, they're at the race. 
they they the lovely home here, but they took their little uh, camper and they're sleeping out there. That's why they're not home. They're sleeping in a camper out in the now they don't live very far from there. In fact, I had seen the campers and I was going by and going and the police were going, you know, that way and this way and that way and people were coming. I was trying to get and I was worried I might have to find use my GPS to get around the other way because it was pretty rough. And so and I saw all those little campers and people out there and I thought, "Oh man, they're they're all and it was pouring down rain. They were out there just having a ball, loving it. They were loving it. And it made me want to go get a camper and <laughs> just get out there and have a good time, you know. They were just having a good time. The, uh, so they were, so they said you won't get to see them because even though they live right here, uh, you know, real, you know, right here, nice, nice place. They're sleeping out in that field in a camper. And I'm, I'm going to have to assume that that's for a reason, like, which I, I don't know what it is. But I, I'm going to figure it out. Somewhere along the line, I'm going to, you know, like right now I'm thinking they, they must like need to be really close. Or like at night they don't want to drive out because it's so busy, so they just stay right there. In other words, they so much want to see it I mean, that was my second guess. Yeah, I've got two or three theories here. Uh, that they, they want to see it, that they don't want to fight all that. I mean, it's miserable. Uh, so I checked on it, and I said, well, how big is that place? And how long? I thought they maybe built that a few years ago. And I said, well, how long has that been here? And they said, oh, longer than I've been around. So I checked on it. I thought that's unique. Of course, the reason it looks so new is that uh, about do, 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 19 years ago or 20, something like that, they redid the entire park, the entire place, changed the name. They had an oval track, which they turned into what they call a quad oval, which gave them two and a half miles of, of track. I was very curious why people would sit out there in the rain and drink their coffee. It just seemed odd. To me, not you know what I mean. I'm, I'm not saying that's odd, but you know what I mean. That's weird. I mean, it's just different. You know, most people will say, "Oh, the the temperature's not. I, I'm too hot in church, so I can't go back to church." But they're drinking their coffee in the rain. No, I'm, no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm I'm not making any comparison. So I found out that that track has been there almost as long as I've been alive. In fact, they broke ground when I was three years old. And they, then they moved in a little bit later, and, and they've been doing stuff to that place. And, and that, that it's become now, well, of course, it seats, according to what I read, and this could be wrong. I'm just saying this with a little bit of my investigation through the last several months, that you can get 111,000 people in the, um, the way it's arranged to watch a full race. That's what I read. It may be more, but that's what I read. In fact, that's more than the size of the city in which it is housed. I mean, I don't know if they ever get 111,000. I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't check that. 
I'm going to just guess that sometimes they do, that there are events. Because, for example, uh, several things about it, but this is something I didn't know, <clears throat> that the uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway, as it's now called, uh, name's been changed several times, but that what made it so famous through, through the years, several things, of course, but the, one of the things, I, I think this captured my imagination as the most important thing about the race through the years is that the way they built the track, which is quite complicated, I, I can't repeat what it means to where you can understand it because you already understand, I imagine, that they found that the way the track is built, the way the road is built, the, uh, and that's about as far as I can go with it. The way they built the, the, uh, uh, the <laughs> you can tell that I know what I'm talking about. Um, the way the materials, I was trying to think of a word, I guess that would work. The, the materials they use and the way it affects speed, one day after a number of years of racing, they found that the Atlanta Motor Speedway was breaking all records worldwide for what, what they would call. Now, I know some of you are going to look it up and say, oh, yeah, but so-and-so at Talladega, blah, blah. No, 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 no. I'm telling, I'm telling you the truth here. Other places have had faster vehicles. That's not my point. Okay, you listen to me. Okay, I'm trying to tell you something here. I'm preaching to you. I know some of you are saying, come on, Brother French, preach to us. All right, <clears throat> they found that at this track, not, what's the one in Florida? Daytona, is that in Florida? Not uh, any of the others, but right here, they were breaking what they call the average um, qualifying time. So that while others might hit 200 miles an hour, you know, they couldn't hold maintain it. But the average speed of a vehicle here was averaging, averaging, this is what I think captivates people, a man in a vehicle going, averaging his speed, may go higher, lower, but averaging, and therefore what they would call his qualifying speed, what qualifies him for the race was 193 miles an hour. So it has become known as the fastest current racetrack in the world. Not because it has the fastest speeds, but because it maintains as a qualifying average 193 miles an hour. Now, a couple times, another place would they fixed their track and they got a little bit faster, and then they found out that as they ran races, the material in the track caused the cars to slow down and they were all down below 193 miles an hour. In fact, one interesting little tidbit that I came across that I thought I might mention that you, I'm sure you know is that there was a famous, this track is so famous 
that a president of the United States used to work at this track. Does, ever, does everyone already know this? Of course, you know who the president is, right? Jimmy Myers. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Jimmy Carter. As a young man, he, uh, his job was called ticket taker. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess on this one. All right? This is a guess because I've never been, have no idea. But according to the history books, Jimmy Carter's job as a young man, now just think of it. He could say, I'm the president of the United States of America. And what have you done? I was a ticket taker at Atlanta Motor Speedway. So I'm going to assume that means you drive up. Wait, wait. Just French. I absolutely fibbed without meaning to. And you, you let me. You should have. You should have screamed out. You should have thrown a hanky or something. I have been there. Because Sister French wanted me to go. She did. She begged me to go because they had put a Christmas light display and I drove 193 miles. No, I... Uh, no, I was. I, I'm quite positive that we were inside of it. Now, you know, with Santa doing all he was doing, it was hard to tell. But I think that we were inside of it. And you kind of go around somewhere. I mean, that's, uh, I, I could be mistaken. But there was like a big, a big, uh, like the, the reindeer were here. And there was just stuff everywhere. And you drive around and then these things would come on. So I don't want you to think that I purposely fooled you. I have been over there and saw the lights. Now the most wins on that track were won by a perhaps the most famous uh, car racer in the world, Dale Earnhardt, of course. And uh, he he has won that on that track more than any other human being. Uh, he won there for NASCAR nine times. But in a Daytona race in you know February of uh, uh, 2000 or 2001, something like that, there was um, a tragedy, as perhaps you're aware. Uh, so this most famous of racers, now I, I can't fully uh, describe the events that took place, but I'm going to try to be factual, that they were in Daytona. They were in the, the last uh, lap, I guess you could call it, the final lap of... Uh, yeah, I think they would call it that. They were on what uh, they describe as turn four. So that is meant to say to the reader that the race was almost over. They had... Uh, 
seen uh, tens of thousands of fans expecting this great race driver to once again uh, receive the trophy. And then it happened that, and this is a very poor description, but the the he accidentally somehow he bumped the car that was uh, ahead of him, and I'm not sure of this detail, but it forced his car. I mean, when you're going at these speeds, it forced uh, Earnhardt to make a move that was like split-second timing, and it threw or thrust the front of his car into the outside wall of the Daytona uh, track. And when that happened, there was a series of events that took place that uh, ended up with Ken Schrader's car hitting the most famous car in all of history. And when it did, it didn't hit it hard, I didn't like, uh, it wasn't the hitting of the car, but when he hit that vehicle, when, I mean, when that vehicle hit him, so we've got a series of events, that then caused what was some have described as slow motion, which of course it was not slow motion, but it was as though the entire world that was involved in the race watched as the most famous racer of all time. He is tied, even now, after a death in 2001, he is still tied with the most number of wins of any man that ever lived. And I believe it's 74 wins. Wins. And the world watched as Schrader's car and Dale's car flew into the grassy knoll over to the side. And if you really want to read some interesting, and I love, uh, I love to read. I have no interest whatsoever in race tracks. But human interest and the life of some of these people and the way they lived and how they won events, that interests me. And I read one event that said the breath of America was on hold as they waited for word. Some, so it was quite an event. I, I, can, uh, I remember it myself, of course, but um, they rushed him uh, of course, and they waited till they announced the winner. And then they didn't want all those thousands of people to hear it too quickly. They waited till things calmed down. And the report that came from the hospital was he died instantly. As soon as his car hit the ground, it was instantaneous. Forty nine years of age. So I've taken a, a moment here to relate a little bit about 
uh, the race that's nearest to us and most on our minds. So let me read it again. We must run with patience the race. I want to, I'm slowing down because I don't want anybody in this room to think that I am in some way passing a moral question over the events of a man's death at a motor speedway. I am only saying that even the most expert of men, he was known his, maybe you know this, but he was known worldwide, not as... Dale, although everyone knew his name, of course. But he was known as the intimidator because he did not fear the track at all. That's what they, that's what they said. Now, that, maybe his family would dispute that. I don't know. I'm just talking about the popular reports. And yet, the day came when the race was over. I remember seeing people weeping. I remember it. I remember it. I'm old enough, of course, to remember that. And I remind you that there is a race, church. It's not at Talladega. It's not in Daytona. It's not in Atlanta. No, my friend. And this race is set before us. God has given us an opportunity if we will run this race with Patience. Everybody say with patience. Lord, help me. Sister French, can, can you come up here with me? I wonder if you could stand with me tonight. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to finish this. I've, I've, I've taken my time. I feel good that I've preached what I've done in my heart. I'm not even a third of the way. I've got th- this whole idea of this race business. I want just to bow our heads together. Father, tonight, I pray that nobody here... Lord, nobody here will become impatient with their race tonight, oh God. The struggle they face, struggle is the thing that brings the most impatience. It is difficult for us to be persecuted. And and in a world that says it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. I pray for our young people. I wonder if all of our young folks, if you're 30 and under, I want you to come right up here with me. Because I'm going to put myself in the 30 and under category. Even though I'm 59 years old. No, I want all, the, all those 30 and under to come. Saints, would you just lift your hands toward our young people and let's pray for our young people tonight. Could we do that? Father, I pray that we will run the race. Lord, I want to run the race. I want to run this race. I want to run the race, Jesus. I want to live for you. Now, young people, could you come on? Don't be nervous. Just come up a little closer because we want the others to come. All right, so just come a little bit closer, a little bit closer. Now, if you didn't know that people knew you were over 30, I'm sorry. All I was trying to do is just get the, uh, enough young people up here. Now, I want all the saints of God to gather around. And let's begin to pray. Young people, would you lift your hands with me? I want to pray for you a special prayer. It's not the one who shines for a day. We need her, Micah. But the one who endureth to Yeah. 
all the saints that know it, not the one who runs the swiftest, nor the one who shines for a day. Take someone by the hand. Let's, or, or not, you don't have to take them by the hand, but just t- t- pray for somebody is what I meant to say. If you want to take them by the hand, take them by the hand. But put your hand on them some way or another or uh, let them know you're praying. Come on, let's pray for one another right now. Who shines for a day? Oh, but the one. Come on, saints of God, reach over and pray for somebody. Somebody that's that you can let them know that you're believing God for them. Lord, give us patience. <laughs> if you know somebody that struggled with their race could you just lift your hands I want to pray with you maybe it's someone that's dear to you tonight come on let's pray if you see somebody with their hand up would you would you take them by the by the hand by the arm some way just reach towards them let's pray for these that these folks are praying for right now father I pray for every every family member every loved one I, I don't want to see anybody Lord, that doesn't finish the race. Lord, somebody that walked this walk and loved this message, oh God, don't don't let them lose their way. Don't let them lose their step. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But the one, do you know what? Let's sing it one last time. Who endureth to the end? He, he shall be saved. Do you know that on the piano? Sister Rich, come up here and help me sing. Not the one. Who runs the swiftest? 
together, shall we? Father, right now, I pray for every family. I pray for every struggling saint tonight. Lord, that your blessing will be on each one. I pray for lost loved ones that Satan says are hopeless. I pray that you will get them back on track and restore them, oh God. We just thank him for it right now. You have faith tonight. That's it. Let's lift a hand and give God praise. Lord, sometimes it's the struggle that discourages us. It's the struggle. It's, it's, it's the difficulty. We don't understand what you're doing in our lives. But we're going to keep running. We're going to keep walking and trusting God. Praise God. Would you, Sister French, come, we'll, we'll sing it one last time. Now you, that, that's a pretty simple song. Let's, and it's old as, how old would that be? Way, way back. Here we go. Let's sing. Not the one who runs the swiftest, nor the one who shines for a day, but the Father, tonight I pray for this church tonight that we will have the patience of Job, that we will stay on track, Lord, every step of the way, even in the hardest time. Lord, there are people under the sound of my voice that have been through rain and storm and flood Their lives have seen the most difficult moments that life can experience. And yet they have marched forward by faith. And so I pray tonight, oh God, just like we pray for our brethren who have been captured by these terrorists, that you will encourage them tonight. Lord, I know that it is hard. I know that it is impossible by man's standards. But we don't come to man. We come before the throne of God tonight. And we ask, oh God, that you will save us, Lord. That you will deliver us in our time of trouble. And that you will keep us, Lord, and guide us. Lord, let us hold on. Because there are others who are watching us. And let us hold on because of our love and our faithfulness to you. Because you are God. And we love you tonight. And everyone said amen.